Hi, everybody. This is Chuck Sipe, Assistant Superintendent for Roxbury Schools, here with another episode of Schoolhouse Rocks, a podcast. We have some very special guests today to continue our conversation about reading and writing instruction, best practices, and best ways to support teachers and students in what that learning experience looks like. Uh, Certainly one of the most important pieces of early education is a foundational understanding of reading and writing skills, uh, because those are the things that really carry our students through in all disciplines uh, into their young adult life. And so it's super important that the school district has a plan about what that looks like. And we really understand what a partnership with uh, high-level professional colleagues, as well as experts, which you're going to hear from today, looks like so that we can make sure that our students receive the very best, which is our plan every single day. So I'm going to start by inviting my guests to introduce themselves. And for those who are here in the district, they're going to tell you what they do. For our special guests from outside the district, tell us a little bit about yourself so that our audience knows who you are. Hi, I'm Lita, Leah Steiner. I am a literacy consultant with Jennifer Saravallo. Um, I've been working in the district for the last year now, um, doing professional learning with teachers around literacy instruction for K to four. Um, before that, I taught in elementary school classrooms for many years. I worked as a school administrator. Um, and then I, um, I met Jen <laughs> and I joined her team and I've had the privilege of working in classrooms, um, all over the United States. Hi everyone. It's Alyssa Bellardino, the pre-K to six humanities supervisor here in Roxbury. Hi, Eric Schmidt, the secondary ELA and performing arts supervisor in Roxbury schools. I'm just happy to be here today. And hello, I'm Jen Saravallo. Um, my books are used throughout the district. I write books for teachers about how to teach reading and writing, um, specifically how to lead differentiated small group instruction, conferring, and how to offer kids really clear, explicit strategies for their reading and writing work. So I, I just have to jump in before we keep going. Uh, it's a little modest introduction from Jen. Jen is one of leading experts in reading and writing research, um, pedagog- <laughs> pedagogical uh, delivery, particularly as it pertains to reading and writing. So um, I, I appreciate your very clear introduction, but I, I do, you know, I, I need to add to it because I think it was a little bit modest. Uh, so we're really super excited to have Jen join us today. She was spending the day visiting Nixon Elementary School. She's um, visiting classrooms with Alyssa, Leah, and Eric to really see how teachers are implementing uh, reading and writing strategies in the classroom and to provide some feedback to our teachers and our students. And as we all know, uh, the research on feedback is very clear. Uh, Feedback that is specific, timely, and future-oriented is the most profound and has the most potential to positively impact uh, growth. And so we're really excited that Jen could be a part of that process today, although it is the process we try to follow every day. When we can partner with an expert, it is really something special. So we're going to take a little bit of a journey back in time. If you have not previously listened to our episode with Leah, Alyssa, and a couple others on reading and writing in the district, I would encourage you to do that. Um, it is one of our earlier episodes of the podcast. So today we're going to kind of go back, but pick up from there. So first, you know, and, and really out in the forefront of the conversation surrounding reading instruction is some of the controversy surrounding the science of reading. Um, You know, I think that our school district does a really great job of ensuring that our students have a very comprehensive, comprehensive foundational platform to learn reading and writing skills and integrate them into their own style so that they can be successful, excited readers and writers. So let's start there. Alyssa, tell us a little bit about what the structure looks like at the elementary level 
Eric, talk about how you have worked with Alyssa to build that up into the secondary level. And then I'm really interested in Leah and Jen's take on what that framework looks like in our district as the experts in the field. So speaking at the elementary level, um, I believe the teachers do a fantastic job to infuse phonics instruction. We have um, 40 minutes blocks throughout the day where students are utilizing Wilson Foundation's phonics program um, and language development to support their needs. Um, that is just one part of our literacy instruction that we do within the school. So we also have our reading workshop block and our writing workshop block where we are building readers and writers throughout that time. Um, one thing in particular, and I know this has come up um, in quite some conversations is, are we doing our students a disservice? Are we giving them the amount of phonics instruction that they truly need? And I believe, yes, we are doing so. When you think about the amount of time and the resources that we spend with our students and our kiddos, I think we are constantly working through phonics instruction in reading and writing as well. So not just that explicit 40 minutes of phonics instruction during um, whole group lessons for foundations, but I think we also infuse it when we go into our reading workshop classes where our students are independently reading decodable books and we're building off of that. I think our interactive writing lessons are building in that phonics instruction. So throughout the day, we are constantly infusing it, even just our conversations that we're having with our kiddos. We're really touching upon all of those skills. And at the secondary level, we're doing a lot of work to expand workshop pedagogy. Uh, we've introduced reading and writing workshop at the middle school level and to a degree at the high school level as well. Uh, and one of the reasons for doing this, as we were just discussing before, is that good teaching is just good teaching. It's responsive to students' needs. Uh, we're assessing and monitoring where our students are and what are their next steps for success. Uh, and that, to me, is what workshop's really all about, um, giving students the time to be able to do that work and the feedback and support to be able to execute that and succeed. So uh, Jen's work has also really been really pivotal in our ability to do that. Um, appreciate uh, Leah's work in helping our teachers on the ground level um, and implementing that in the classroom. And uh, what I really like about a lot of the work that we're doing too is that when we need resources for support, particularly resources for teachers to be able to, to actualize and, and initiate the, the work that students need, there is no clearer or better resource than a lot of Jen's work. It's very step-by-step, -step, it's methodical, it's clear, it's color-coded. Uh, and you can see like teachers just like get a comfort level of being able to access this and implement that work. Um, so we're you know excited to be able to, to do that here and to have Jen with us today. Yeah, I, I really, I know that, I know that deep sigh really well, right? When teachers use Jen's resources and they're like, oh, it can be that simple, <laughs> right? And I, I, I really appreciate that you shared that. Um, in terms of infusing phonics instruction into the workshop, we did a lot of work around that this year, specifically in K-1-2, about recognizing that every student needs something different, and sometimes that means um, more strategies or different strategies for infusing into their – or to, for practicing into their connected texts – um, and as Alyssa said, right, we're thinking about how can we weave more writing into our reading time as well. So looking at different structures like interactive writing where students are practicing those foundational skills. Um, you know, they're looking, thinking about sharing the pen with the teacher to do some to do some writing. We look at shared writing where they're coming up with all the wonderful ideas and uh, teachers holding the pen. Um and um, yeah, I think we're doing a lot of that work and infusing it into the block. 
Well, I want to just expand the definition a little bit of science of reading beyond phonics. While phonics is absolutely critical, there's science or research to back up so many practices beyond phonics as well. And what I saw evidence of today in the classrooms I visited was a real response to some of the other science as well. I guess, of course, kids were practicing reading, um, in many cases, in the kindergarten classroom decodable books that set them up really well to transfer their phonics skills into connected text reading. Um, They're learning strategies, like reminding them to check the beginning, middle, and end and blend the sounds together. Those are critical. But I also saw evidence of students' ownership and engagement over their work. Um, There's a great body of science around executive functioning and how it responds to or how it relates to comprehension. So what I saw in the classrooms today were that kids were articulating, even in kindergarten, they were saying, here's what I'm working on. Here's why this is my goal. Watch me. I'm going to do it now. And when you have a clear plan for yourself as a reader, that automatically supports your level of engagement and focus. Um, I saw examples in uh, the second and third grade classrooms of kids really thinking about their comprehension, making sure that they were making a movie in their mind. They were asking themselves questions, seeking out answers to those questions as they read. Those are also research-based practices. So I think what's really exciting is that in this district, you're embracing the whole of the scientific body of research, not just the phonics, which is, of course, a critical piece, but also helping kids with motivation, engagement, comprehension, fluency, conversation. There's there's research to support all of that. So one of the questions I get frequently, not only professionally, but personally, is as a parent, what can I do to help my child, right? That seems to be something that parents continuously struggle with because in fairness, most parents aren't educators, maybe in the same way I struggle to fix my car or do my taxes, right? That's not my area of professional expertise. And so one of the pieces of feedback I give parents regularly to that question is, a very simplified version of what I, what you all have just kind of said, which is be engaged, be interested, be invested, really celebrate the, their investment in their learning. And so some of the things I just even heard Jen follow up and, and emphasize here is, you know, we have worked here in the schools to teach students how to take ownership, how to ask, how to formulate questions about what they're doing, how to seek those answers, how to defend those answers. And so from the for, from the structure of reading, which is kind of what we're talking about, one of the best things parents can do is celebrate the importance of reading. Um, read with your children, read aloud to them, have them read aloud to you, ask them questions, you know, ask them what they learned, what do they think, what might come next, you know, kind of those uh, those exercises that seem simple, but what you're, the message you're sending your child is very profound and very clear. Reading is important, reading is fun, reading is something we can do together. And um, although it may feel like that's a cumbersome task sometimes, it doesn't have to be an entire book. It can be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes at bedtime. Um, it can be, a, you know, as children get older, Eric and I just have recently talked about this. It can be something as we move into the summer, right? We have a very specific format that we follow with summer learning here. Uh, and one of the things that we would recommend is everybody read the same book in the family, right? If you have a high school age student, let's all read the same book. Let's talk about it. You know, we're going to go on a family vacation. Like, you know, wow, wow we don't want to read, but why not pick something fun and exciting that we can really dig into together and use these same strategies, allow children to take ownership over their learning, show them you're invested in what they're doing. And that will, t- that teaches students indirectly how invested you are as the parent in their success. The other thing that I want to just kind of circle back to before we move away from reading and integrate writing a little bit more here is I heard on numerous occasions us say here that instruction needs to respond to students' needs and um, focus towards next steps of success. So can we talk a little bit more about what that looks like in the moment? Because 
you know, again, I've said this a lot on this podcast and as many times and even publicly that I can, teaching's a really, really hard job. And part of what makes it so complicated is you don't ever know what's coming next. Um, every student does need individualized support in every way possible. And so as a teacher, how do you respond to a student who has an individual need or a student who has an unanticipated stumble? How do we celebrate failure, right? That sounds so contradictory, but how do we celebrate failure as something that leads to success after perseverance, particularly with reading, right? Reading and writing are two of the areas in school, aside from math, that students inadvertently learn is too hard for them to be good at. How do we combat that? I think part of it comes back to the idea of those conferences, right? Of reading conferences and writing conferences. And I think sometimes as students, and I will speak to that because I still am a student, is you feel like you're, you're getting tested on something or this is some formalized assessment piece where it's going to be looked at and I'm going to be judged for how I do. I think the difference with conferences is they are informal. It is a conversation that students are having with their teacher or with one another, with a group of students. And that's really the beauty of it is that these conferences are so informal. You're sitting down with your teacher on the carpet, in your library, around the room at a small group table. And they are really talking to you about what you're reading, what you like to read, and really digging into the type of genre that you have and um, focusing on different things. So for example, if you're reading some fiction text, you might be looking at characters or problem and setting, and the teacher might just prompt with some questions, but also compliment the student. And I think that makes kids feel really good. Everyone wants to hear a compliment, right? And you Whenever you hear that you get to spend extra time with your teacher or a friend, you automatically light up. And so to go in the classroom and see the students and the teachers doing this work, you just feel the energy. You see the passion within them. The teachers are so excited to have these conversations with kiddos about their books. And the students are so excited to say, oh, look, this is what's happening in my book. And I can connect it to another book and really transfer those skills. Um, so I have seen so much more engagement within the students. And I've seen so many more positive relationships built within the students with each other, but also with the teachers as well. I think productive struggle is really necessary. This concept that we're giving kids opportunity to try to outgrow what they are currently doing. And probably all of us, if we thought about something we learned how to do, there are moments when we're a little out of our comfort zone, where things are a little bit more tricky than what we could do completely by ourselves. Um, and yeah, so that's a place for conferences. That's a place for teachers to really um, intentionally scaffold the reading of more complex texts. You know, this one's going to be a little bit more challenging for you, but let's talk about for example, some of the background knowledge you need before you get started, or let me give you a strategy that's going to help you work your way through this new text structure or how to figure out the vocabulary words or whatever it is that's particularly challenging about it. So it's this balance of teacher scaffolding and support with opportunities to practice and struggle a little bit. And then what your kids are already doing so well is that they're reflective and they notice what, what you know, what are places where they're having challenge, where to ask for help, um, and what successes have they had and how have they grown I've heard that we typically are just more open to um, struggle that is often like exercise or physical by nature, like a mm, sport or some sort of task. And the the productive struggle associated with learning is sometimes that we we can throw up our hands and maybe you know resign ourselves to to a lesser expectation. Uh, so I think that's kind of interesting to keep in mind too in terms of productive struggle is is to try to equate those two things and and recognize that. Uh, school's a safe place to do that work, uh, to have that struggle and to be supported by a teacher, um, particularly in a conference setting. 
I think that's so important. I was wondering if, I don't know that research specifically, but I wonder if that's about ego. And I'm thinking about kids, especially during different ages and different points in their development, they're particularly self-conscious. And in a way, reading, which is your thinking, and writing, which is your thinking on the page, it can be very vulnerable to share that um, and to show people that you're having difficulty with it or that you're trying new things. But I, I agree with you that if there's this culture of we're all we all have goals. We're all learning new things. We're all stretching ourselves. It becomes a safer place. Um, and the teachers here, from what I saw today, is just create this community in the classroom where kids really do feel like, you know, everyone's got their own goal. Everyone's got their own pursuit that they're working toward. Um, and it's a safe place to struggle. It's been a little bit, too, of work, uh, even with uh, teachers and creating environments where we dismantle the concept of perfection and strive for progress, right? Perfection is often unattainable, but progress is something we can all make. Also, the idea to piggyback on what Alyssa said around like complimenting, right? I think what we're, what teachers are doing so well in Roxbury is that they're they're recognizing what students are already doing, right? It's like or what they're even approximating, right? Like they're they're noticing and naming and giving language to the work that the students can do, like coming from a very strength based perspective. And I think what that does is that it does allow students to be more reflective. Right? I think it allow, it gives them language to be reflective. And complimenting the process. Yes. Not just you're mm -hmm. a great reader or I love I love what you're doing mm -hmm. today. What I saw today were teachers giving such clear, explicit, elaborated compliments that were really instructive, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're walking kids through the steps they took to do whatever the thing was that they were working toward. So I, I just want to put a couple of those pieces together. I'm jotting down notes as we talk here. And what I'm what Jen really emphasized, I really want to hammer home from the feedback standpoint. We talk about compliments, and it is super important, but compliments vacant of any specificity. There's actually a body of research that suggests that is not only harmful in the short term, but in the long term as youngsters develop their self-identity, uh, because inevitably we're going to struggle. They're going to struggle at something. So that complimentary style only feedback that is not uh, connected to some specificity of future-oriented goals or future growth really has the potential to harm the student down the line. It's easy, and I can say this, having read this research as an educator, I make an intentional practice, I'm using the word that Jen used before, intentional uh, effort to be specific as a parent, um, you know, even from simple things like, how do I look, right? I, I you know, saying something just complimentary is very nice, but specific feedback about, you know, I love the choices you've made. I, you know, I think that's a really great outfit for the weather, things like that, that really allow a student to feel empowered to that they can make good good decisions. Although that sounds silly, right? If you're listening to your adult, like, of course I put on the right outfit for the weather. That's something <laughs> children learn. And so um, being intentional about what you notice, right? So I'm kind of circling back to a lot of the important words we're saying here. Intentional noticing, intentional vulnerability, reflecting on what you're doing for future-oriented growth is really a theme here that is emerging that I think is not only critical to how we instruct you know, reading, writing, but it's it's one of those life lessons you hope students see modeled regularly. But what I hope from my position here in the district is that we also encourage that sort of um, experience for educators, right? The, uh, the allowance to be vulnerable. How does an educator partner with an expert like Jen and with Leah to better their practice without feeling like I have to really shine in this moment, right? Like we expect our, we, our teachers are awesome. Let's like, all right, let's get that out of the way. Our teachers are awesome, but there's always room to grow. So, you know, the, an experience like today is a professional support opportunity. I've seen teachers be vulnerable. They're asking questions. How do I get better at this? What can I do? Can you look for this and tell me how I can get better? Like that invitation to reflect on their own practice and get that critical feedback 
is modeled amazingly for children. So then now we can all make it a part of what we do when we learn. I think one of the powerful things that Leah has done with us this year has really taken on that lab site training. And I think that's really empowered our teachers um, seeing it in the moment with their kiddos. What do these conferences look like? How do I use the skill progression and them trying it right on the spot? Um, It is real world. It is live right in the moment. Um, They are, you know, they jump right in. They take to it so well. They ask questions um, and to see teachers talking about reading and writing during their PLCs, after school, on the weekends, recording themselves to see how their language is, to listen in. To me, that is the most amazing thing because they have reinvigorated their own passion and they truly believe in Jen's work and the resources that she provides them to really just um, level up our instruction and um, build off of what they have already because they have so many amazing skills and strategies, instructional practices. And now it's how do I enhance that for my students? So, so let's, we keep talking, we've done a lot of reading. Our, our next step is to really continue to enhance writing. I know um, we've used Jen's text to also support that as we, we begin. And I, um, you know, it's one of those things, I think we associate reading proficiency with elementary level, but we don't necessarily, and maybe I'm overgeneralizing, we don't necessarily associate writing proficiency until older grades. Well, there has to be a connection there, and there's definitely a connection between a love of reading with an excitement for writing. Writing is scary as for a lot of kids, uh, a lot of adults too, quite frankly. Um, Jen kind of mentioned before, writing is a moment you have to be vulnerable. There's an opportunities for revisions and a lot of critical feedback needed. So what steps have we taken? Will we continue to take? And what are our future plans for the connection between elementary to high school? So we can continue to connect that proficiency and courage in writing, right? We have so many different ways we have to write. How do we help support students in their their confidence in those skills as they can learn from their, their their reading skills? How do they translate that? And maybe there's other things that we can do. So let's talk about that a little bit. What's that look like for us? I think one of our focuses for Eric and myself as a department goal is really um, we have this love of reading that we have built with the students. And I think part of it is going back to why do we write and do we have the engagement in writing as we do in reading? Um, so I think we need to have our students see themselves as writers and our teachers as writers. And what does that look like? Well, what are you writing about today? Or what? why do we write? Um, let's look at some of the writing of craft authors, right? And see the different um, components that they use. So I think engagement is a huge focus point for us. Um, first, before we even begin actually writing or generating ideas um, at the younger level, they're composing with pictures and having conversations about things that happen in their life. Those small moments of, you know, what happened today? What did you do today? Oh, you went to the beach. What's something that happened when you were at the beach and really digging into connecting it to them? Because we know at a younger level, it's really about they see it's just the world. This is what I do every day. Sometimes it's hard to put it down on paper, um, but having them vocalize and having that just really those conversations, the engagement focus, generating those ideas out loud, I think has been a focus point. And I know Eric and myself are really thinking about not only the students, but the teachers as writers and ourselves even thinking about publishing writing, showcasing writing. Um, something's coming up in the future for us. And, you know, to introduce a topic and then step away. Um, but I feel like, you know, I think in literacy, we're just kind of dealing with a crisis of writing with the advent of ChatGPT. Um, you know, more so than ever, is it easy to just manipulate and produce, you know, seemingly coherent thought? Um, writing is really difficult. Um, 
And I think it comes back to just defining what is the value of writing? Why do we write? And we realize very quickly when we begin to answer that question that there's something to express, right? There's something human about that process. Um, it is, it's the desire to share a thought, to share a belief, to share how you've worked something out, uh, how, <laughs> what you think of a restaurant, what you think of a book, right? Uh, and when we begin to kind of step back and redefine like the value and the purpose, it's no longer just that reproducible five paragraph essay that we see ChatGPT so easily produce. Um, so we're doing a lot of that work with our teachers right now um, to support authentic um, writing that gives students voice and choice. Going back to the littlest ones, you, you know, in, in our conversation earlier about helping them with letter sound correspondence and learning that phonics knowledge, it's so important that they're writing every day too. For a lot of kids, actually, it's speech to print first. It's that their ability to hear the sounds in spoken language and then realize that there's symbols that represent those sounds and having a real purposeful audience for where they want their writing to go and beginning to write that helps them segue into reading. Right. So there is absolutely this reciprocal relationship between reading and writing. And for some kids, writing helps them be better readers. So not just on a not only on a word level, but think about even on a structural level. If I'm somebody who has to write a story and I have to think about how do I tell a story in a way that's going to engage my reader? What are the what's the organization? What kinds of details do I put into my writing? And then when I go as a reader to look at that same kind of structure and detail in the reading, I'm better freed up to then maybe infer, like, why did the author maybe put that there? Or what does this tell me about the character? Um, so there is actually a body of research that shows that people who write read better. And sometimes teaching writing before reading can be helpful. There's also a lot of um, research around the importance of looking at mentor text, studying craft, and using that to help springboard better writing craft. So we can start with teachers asking, what makes good writing? What are the parts of good writing? And then move into then how do we teach that to students um, really clearly and explicitly? Yeah, so I think that's what's gonna launch our professional learning into next year. Um, starting in August, we're gonna bring, um, gather some teachers together to start this work before kids come in um, to really wrap our heads around what is writing, what do we believe about writing instruction? What do we value? Um, and then how do we infuse that into our classrooms and for our writers? Um, and then similar to the work we did this year, we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to head into classrooms. We're going to sit next to writers. We're going to notice what are their strengths and then determine um, actionable steps to help them improve. And one of the things that I think ties this all together, and you guys both just mentioned this, and it made me think of this comment, is as we work to support teachers, part of that is helping support their confidence, right? Teachers need to present themselves as confident writers, confident readers, right? Because the students look to them as the role model. And so the the reality is, back to something that was said before, that intentional vulnerability is one of the things that I know I experienced as a fear of writing, although I liked writing. If you know me at all, you th I, I think I have a lot to say, right? <laughs> I don't know if there's a lot of value to it, but I have a lot to say. And so oftentimes you hear songwriters and authors say, well, I had something to say. And so I put those words on paper or to a melody and that became a song and that became a book, right? I, had, I thought I had something important that the world needed. And so what's that look like? And so not passing judgment on what's important to someone else, I think is critical, right? Write about what is important to you. I think that f in the same way we want students to read something that's of high interest, write something that's important, right? Alyssa gave the example before about something that happened to you at the beach. Maybe writing a song is important to you. Cool, do that. There's a structure, but don't allow that structure to be a hindrance or something that um, in instigates a feeling of danger, right? Have fun, do it. 
notice and reflect, improve, right? All these same themes keep emerging about how do we get better at that? Um, I really, it's funny because I look back at my own experience as Jen's talking, I'm like, wow, that actually was me. I would have never thought about it until today as we're talking about it, but like writing, encouragement to write absolutely helped me be a better reader. I was a reluctant reader because I was always reading things that were probably uninteresting to me. But when I was given the freedom to write, it helped me become a better writer or reader. I don't know if I said that right. Help, mm -hmm. Encouraging me to write helped me be a better reader. So I think that's really important too, because if you're a parent at home, that's part of the reason we do these. If you have a reluctant reader, maybe change, shift gears, ask them to write something, even something as simple as a thank you note for a birthday present. You know, let's do a little bit of writing and maybe that will help. I think that's a really cool idea and something I would have never thought of. So, you know, we always need to be open to learning today. And I love that. <laughs> it could also be drawing, storytelling. That is oral composition in a way, right? Which then you can transition to getting the words on the page. So even lower stakes than let's take out a notebook or write a thank you note. Let's just um, draw pictures and let's tell a story about what's happening. You're composing. You have, an or you have organization, you have detail, you have craft. Yeah. And it helps them find what it is that they want to say. Very cool. All right. So one of the things I want to get to before we move out of here is we've talked a little bit about what we're doing and how we're, Leah and Jen have partnered with us. Leah has been so awesome in supporting our teachers. Eric has partners that have transitioned that up into the high school that we've talked to as well. So recognizing that every student is a unique learner, uh, we've that has moved to the forefront of educational dialogue in the last two or three years um, upon re recovering from the COVID pandemic like never before. So let's talk just a little bit before we end this about ways that we utilize the strategies that Jen has provided in her texts and the support that Leah has provided on the ground with Alyssa and Eric. How do we use that to support specific populations of students, individual students, because that's the key, right? Ultimately, if you're a parent, as well-meaning as this is, I don't care about the rest of the class. I care about my kid. How are you, how is this instruction, how is the instructional format, how is that learning environment conducive to my child? And so let's talk a little bit about what we've been doing here to help support teachers and being confident that they can support a variety of learners and also help students feel valued that they are important in that experience. So something that I know is happening at both the elementary and secondary level is this the concept of goal setting. You mentioned before about being a lifelong learner. We can all value from setting a goal and then working to achieve that goal. So um, that's something that we're seeing students do. The idea that's beautiful behind that is that it's unique and specific to the student's needs. Uh, so in collaboration with the teacher, create a goal and we work to achieve that goal. Um, another thing too is that these resources that, that Jen has provided our teachers use, they're just really um, clear and they tell you just how to scaffold instruction. Once you identify sort of where a student is, you can identify what his or her next steps are or if you have to scaffold back the instruction, um, help support students who may have certain um, needs in the classroom. I think the beauty of goal setting is it is individualized and we have data that we collect all day long, right, from our students, not just those formalized assessments, um, the conversations that we're having, the student interactions, the conversations with one another. So I think that we are looking at the data, and as we used the word before, responsive. The teachers are responsive. They're looking at exactly how the students are doing across multiple settings and saying, okay, here is a strength that that student has. And empowering that student to say, like, you're doing this as a reader, you're doing this as a writer, like, keep that work going. Um, and anytime you're reading or writing, but then also here's something that I want to show you. Let me show you this to really enhance your own toolbox of strategies and having students goal set, I think is so powerful um, because they're learning that it, it's not going to come easy for everyone. I'm going to try this and I'm going to 
then reflect upon it and see how it goes. And maybe if it doesn't work, I'm going to try again. So I think looking across all of our populations, you will see across classrooms so many different goals that students are working on. Um, But the students are owning it. And the teachers are doing a fantastic job of thinking about like text complexity and knowing that, yes, you get this level of an independent reading level for your student or an instructional reading level for your your student, but what does that actually mean? And what's interesting in Jen's new book, um, we actually took out the reading levels. So there are no longer reading levels within that book and saying, oh, you know, this this is a label for the student, they're a level A or they're a level M. We're now looking at where are they on the skill progression for that particular component and how are we building off of that through a variety of texts. So I might be a level B on, um, or I'll say a level L on character and Leah might be um, later down the progression, reading at a level S, but we could still be working on the same goal, knowing that our texts are very different. Um, the characters that we come across are very different. And, and there's a lot of benefit to students of, of, of varied levels working together. Absolutely. There's a lot to learn there. Right? Absolutely. So Jen, tell me a little bit about that kind of that new work. So that is definitely a change as we break apart the skills. And that may be you know, people were just getting comfortable with reading levels, <laughs> right? <laughs> so now to hear that that's getting separated out based on skills, how can we help um, t- not only teachers, but also parents who have just become acclimated to a structure feel more confident and comfortable understanding what that means as it relates to their child's learning? Well, you know, I removed the levels in part because I felt like people were misusing levels as labels for kids. And that really is not a good use. So one thing for parents listening to understand is that levels can be a helpful way to sort of get in the ballpark of what kinds of stuff is in this book, what kinds of challenges are are students likely to, to, to face, like more complex characters or flashbacks and foreshadowing, right? Those kinds of things. Um, They're not really, there's not really validity around assessing a student and pinning a particular level on them because there's so many factors and variables that come into play with what text I can read on a given day. Am I interested in it? Do I know something about the content? Am I motivated to read it? Um, How long is it? Is it a short text or a longer text, right? There's so many things that come into play. And so I found people were using the levels and saying, um, I've got a student who reads M books, so I'm going to go find M strategies. That's not really the most effective way to target instruction. More effective is to say, I have a student who's understanding characters and is ready to think about how characters can be complex. That's a skill. So now I'm going to make sure that they're set up with the right text and the right task and the strategy to equip them to do that. So it is a little bit of a shift in thinking. I still think levels have utility in being able to judge approximately how complicated is this text for teachers to predict what kinds of things are in this text that I need to be aware of so I can highlight them for students to scaffold them so that teachers can make sure that they're providing kids with some grade level text at some point in the day. All kids need to have that, right? So um, so levels can be helpful, but not to label kids. Um, so I, I move, by moving away, this, away from those levels, I, I hope that it helps move people away from that practice and also helps them just to more precisely target exactly what does this child need to learn with the strategies alongside how will they be able to learn that I remember that concept really clicked for me because when I was in school I loved music so I could read books about music at a far deeper level than I could really any other text so my background knowledge really could change what I could access so I mean that explanation is a really great point to end on just because I think it demonstrates why teaching and learning reading and writing is so complex and why 
being a facilitator for it is something that is in constant need of review and support. Uh, the best words of advice you've heard throughout this as a parent is celebrate participation, celebrate reading, celebrate writing, be interested, be invested in, ask your children about it, ask them what they're doing, participate in that dialogue with them so that your teachers can really support the heavy lifting that Jen just really well explained very quite clearly, very well um, about what the complexities of what that looks like. So before we before we get out of here, I just want to give Jen, Jen has an awesome podcast and has some really great um, books that we've referenced a couple of times. So I'm going to invite Jen to, to tell us a little bit about those just in case you're a parent or teacher listening at home and you're unfamiliar. And if that's the case and you're an educator, especially at the elementary level, I'm shocked. Um, but if you're a parent and you're thinking, I really want to support my students at home, I want to help use the same language my teachers are using because that's going to help my kid understand it better. Tell us a little bit about where they can get that information, Jen. Well, I've written a lot of books about the teaching of reading and writing. I think I'm over 15 at this point. So different ones have different topics. But the ones we've been talking about most today, the Reading Strategies Book 2.0, which is the new book, a lot of parents use this book because the language is very simplified and streamlined. There's visuals to represent the content prompts that you can give kids. So if you're interested, I'm not saying parents have to, but if you're interested in taking on a little bit more of a hands-on role in helping your kids with their goals, um, you might find it friendly. The Writing Strategies book is uh, very similar, 300 strategies to help kids with everything from focusing their writing to get, getting ideas, structuring it, adding details. Um, so those are the two we've been talking about most today. If you're interested more about this idea of text complexity and levels and the proper place for levels, that would be my book, Understanding Text and Readers. Um, and yeah, my podcast is called To the Classroom. I started it just this year. And my format is that I interview researchers. And then I have post-interview conversations with colleagues from my consulting team, like Leah. And we talk about the research and how we can bring this research to the classroom. So I'm having a great time doing it. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you visiting Nixon School with us today. We're super thankful to partner with Leah, who I know is is really a great champion of your work and a great partner for you, and she is for us. So thank you for sharing her with us, and we really, really can't thank you enough for joining us today. I want to thank Eric and Alyssa. They have really been at the forefront of instruction here in language arts and literacy in our school district, and I really credit them with having the vision for what uh, for what the direction looks like of where our district's going and the the, the group that best yeah, benefits from that are our students. And that's really what our ultimate goal is. So thank you all for joining us today. I'm super grateful for everything you've done for our students and continue to do for our students. And thanks for listening.